Hi, I'm Alex. And I'm Brenda. Welcome to Conversational Counseling, where counseling and discipleship meet. So when I began to understand, not only were my sins forgiven, but also that I was counted righteous. And not only that, not only did I understand that I, I was counted perfectly obedient, but then it changed how I was with other people. Well, Brenda, this is a fun day for us because we get to have a special guest with us, Elise Fitzpatrick. And I know um, you'll probably say similar things, but for me, Elise, um, you've been someone who I feel like has gone before me in every stage of my biblical counseling journey. And it has been just, um, it's just been fun to uh, learn from you. It's been challenging at times, and we're just excited to have you here today to talk to us about um, just all that you've learned and ways that you've changed in the years of biblical counseling. Oh, thanks. Yes, we're, we're so excited, Lisa, to have you. I was um, noticing that we both started in our biblical counseling journey about the same year, but then you just shot off and became my mentor very quickly <laughs> as I just tried to just look at you from a distance and just admired the work you were doing. And, um, you know, I just remember uh, when Women Helping Women came out back in the 90s. Uh, I don't know that anything had actually been written for women in biblical counseling at that time. And it was like no. gold. And, um, you know, just I think Alex and I both have had the privilege of sitting under your teaching at, at uh, conferences. But also both of us have had you come to our different churches when I was in Montgomery. Marie, you came to Eastwood and you've been to Young Meadows. And so that's been exciting to just to even you know, get to know you on a church level. And I always remember being really impressed because when you came to my church in Montgomery, one of the things that you said is you had to be home on Sundays because you wanted to be home to worship at, with your people, you know, your women in your church. And um, that always really resonated with me. But you've been a huge advocate for many years for um, you know, the education and training of women and, uh, and men as well. And I don't think we're overstating it or flattering you by saying you really have been the most influential woman um, mm -hmm. in the biblical counseling movement to tell to really help teach women how to walk alongside and help other women from a biblical worldview perspective. And, and that's really what our podcast is all about, conversational counseling. That's what we're trying to do is um, help women see that you don't have to be a professional, that God has given us what we need to walk alongside other people. And um, we'd just love for our listeners to know a little bit about what your journey has looked like. Thank you. My goodness. What, what kind words. Um, <laughs> I want to make a joke about how I always did think I was the most influential person on the, in the world. But um, <laughs> <laughs> She fits right in with us. Yeah, she does. <laughs> it's all about us, Elise. Uh, we always say that. Yeah, <laughs> goodness. Yeah. I always thought that. I'm so glad you saw it. Um, <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah, you know, when I, uh, that, that's interesting. We started biblical counseling around the same time. I think it was about 1986. Uh, I felt a call. I, I, I didn't, I, I got saved when I was right before my 21st birthday in 1971. And uh, went to Bible college, but was always in a situation where uh, people were coming to me for help. 
and I didn't have any answers. So I was going to go take classes in psychology to try to help um, the people, women who were coming to me. And my pastor at that time said, no, you should go check out what at that time was CCEF, Christian Counseling Educational Foundation, had an office in San Diego. So uh, I went there. I was really resistant to going. Um, I was really resistant to going because I figured I already had a degree that I <laughs> couldn't make any money off of. So why would I do more? Um, <laughs> And uh, so he really encouraged me to do it, thought it would be a bad idea for me to, I had little kids at the time, so thought it would be a bad idea for me to, you know, leave them and go to school. Um, so that was the start of it, 1986, I think. And, and then fairly soon after I started taking classes uh, here in San Diego, uh, I was hired uh, to sort of run the office and uh, I worked with George Scipione, who was, um, who was a disciple of Jay Adams from CCEF uh, in Philly. And uh, from there began, um, continued my training, but also then began writing. And it was really off of the training that I took to get certified by CCEF that the writing happened, started writing, and then Women Helping Women. And you are right. When I first wrote Women Helping Women, myself and Carol Cornish and a group of other women, uh, there really was nothing in the biblical counseling world for women. It was uh, very male, androcentric. It was, um, well, there wasn't that there wasn't that much um, published anyway in the biblical counseling world. And what was published was published by Jay or um, Wayne. Wayne Mack. Yeah. Wayne Mack. Thank, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Those Mack. are like the only people we had. Yeah. Lou Friolos. I worked with him. We had his little cassettes. It was like yeah. three or four people that you could yeah. go to. Yeah. 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 And that was it. And I remember, mm, yeah, I I just remember reading things uh, at that time that were so mm, almost dismissive of women. I don't mean that they were trying to be dismissive of women. I just think they were writing as guys who never thought about women doing counseling, put it that way. Uh, so Women Helping Women came out, and then, um, and then, of course, from there, the rest of the books came. Um, I, at, in, in 1990, um, I, I knew I was going to be writing. And so I decided to, um, I decided to go ahead and get a master's in biblical counseling from Trinity Newburgh. And so I did that. It was, the master's was really there because I felt like I was going to be writing. So, um, I, I did, um, I did do counseling. Uh, I did not do a lot of counseling at CCEF where I was working. I did counseling in local churches, um, through the years. I don't keep clinical hours now. 
um, primarily because I'm, I, I, I get a headache, <laughs> seriously. So um, I, I, I don't do a lot of counseling now, um, but the, the trajectory was really from um, about 1985 until now, maybe 40 years of asking the question, what do, what do women need to hear? And, uh, how can I get it out to them? Which Mm -hmm. is really what I wanted to do. So it was writing and then the speaking came off of the writing. So at that point, if you were a woman who was writing on biblical counseling, then, um, uh, yeah, then you were going to get asked to speak. So then I spoke at all the biblical counseling conferences, and all of that continued mm, pretty strongly until I made the turn toward the gospel, which sounds weird, but mm. I know what happened. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think Alex and I would say that having read your work along the way, and even having seen you along the way, we definitely mm. witnessed the shift that went on in your ministry and in your personal transformation um, Mm -hmm. with the gospel becoming more central to your message. And Mm -hmm. we would love to know more about, you know, how that happened and how you've been impacted to see the gospel as central. We talk about comfort and change, the gospel being central to comfort and change. And yeah, what was your journey like there and what, what changed? Because it was so noticeable, Elise. It was yes. very noticeable, just so you'll yeah. know. And it was beautiful because I think mm-hmm. what it communicated to those of, of, you know, of us behind you is like, oh, the gospel is about change. <laughs> and even if yeah. I'm helping people, like that's the whole point, that I am changing along the way too. But tell us more about that. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's so funny that, um, you know, that you saw it. The way that you did, uh, I had a I had a group of friends. I used to have a group of female friends, and we would gather together weekly for um, like book study. And um, so, one of those friends in particular said to me, uh, "Elise, you're missing the gospel." <laughs> oh wow! Uh, <laughs> and I said, uh, "That's what you're talking about." <laughs> um, that's stupid. Of course, I know the gospel. I'm really, I'm, again, very resistant. You you see a theme in my life. <laughs> God tries to do something in my life and I resist. It's <laughs> kind of how it went. Um, so she started feeding me books, um, particularly let's, I'm, uh, Tim Keller was huge in that. Yeah. Um, so she gave me, she gave me Keller's things to read and listen to and other authors. And I began to see, and honestly, just by the work of the Spirit, because I was not looking for it. Honestly, <laughs> you know, again, even from even from my um, salvation, I wasn't looking for God. And, mm-hmm. you know, people would talk, my neighbor would talk to me about Jesus, and I'd be like, yeah, Jesus. Um, <laughs> and that's sort of how it's gone for me. So anyway, she gave me Keller books, that sort of thing. And then I thought, I, I went to a publisher and I said, I want to write a book about the intersection of justification and sanctification. 
And, um, honestly, I, you know, that sounds good, but I, who knows if I even knew what I was talking about. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, so the author said, uh, the publisher said, yes, off of that came because he loves me. Mm -hmm. Um, thank you. Mm -hmm. The amazing thing was that I got paid to spend about a year thinking, reading, writing, Mm. pondering the love of God in Christ. That, that's what changed me. Mm -hmm. Because I began to really see the gospel. And so that was, I want to say about 2000 nine, something like that, 2008, maybe. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it was like a light went on. You know, it's so funny, all of these different turns, when I began to see that the Bible really spoke to my personal life. uh, One time, I think I was talking with Dave Pallison, I may be wrong about that, my memory is so terrible. But I cursed me, I was talking to Dave Pallison, and I said, it's almost like being born again again. Mm-hmm. When I saw how scripture really spoke mm-hmm. personally to me. Mm-hmm. Then when I saw the love of God in Christ, that mm-hmm. was another one of those mm, t- radical turns. Mm. So, um, so writing because he loves me, spending a year just contemplating the love of God in Christ, Learning what justification meant, Mm -hmm. which, of course, it means not only just as if I never sinned, but also just as if I always obeyed. Mm -hmm. That, that imputed righteousness. Now, you can say to somebody, you have imputed righteousness, and they go, yeah, yeah, or they might look at you like "Mm, eyes glaze over, have no idea what you're talking about. But justification, just as if I had always obeyed, when I came to really wrestle with that imputed righteousness, that just as if I had always obeyedness of myself before God, that changed me. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's so funny, and I'll talk about how it changed me, but it's so funny because Luther says that justification is the, the linchpin or the fulcrum upon which Christianity rises and falls. And yet, most of our counselees or most of people in just broader evangelicalism can't um, define it. Mm -hmm. To me, justification was the issue. So when I began to understand, not only were my sins forgiven, but also that I was counted righteous. I was counted obedient. That began a change in me. It began to drain the anger Mm. and fear and self-righteousness from my heart Mm. so that I could then be transparent Mm -hmm. about my um, lack of perfection and not only that not only did i understand that i i was counted perfectly obedient but then it changed how i was with other people so if i i i know that i used to think and i don't think i'd ever would have said this exactly but 
you know, it used to kind of be, if I have to work this hard, why aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. Right? I mean, if I'm killing myself here, um, then why, why aren't you? That began to change when I realized that, and I want to be careful how I say this, but when I realized that I didn't have to kill myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, please, <laughs> not saying that we shouldn't try to be obedient or try to be holy. It's just that I, I began to understand that Elise, with all of her failure and brokenness, was actually loved and accepted and welcomed. And um, the fear that somehow I wasn't making it mm-hmm. um, and that I had to try harder in order to make it. And if you would have said to me at some point before the turn, do you think God loves you? I would have said, oh, yeah, yeah, God loves me. But that wasn't really where the action was. Mm-hmm. The action wasn't that God loved me. The action was that I had to get the bus down the road. Mm-hmm. So in then in becoming more transparent, I could enter into suffering with other people. Mm-hmm. I could enter into communion with their suffering. I'd like to say I do that perfectly or uh, obviously saying all this as I wish I did this better, but um, I, I, could, I could enter into the lives of the suffering. I could lament with them without saying, okay, yeah, I'm really sad. I'm, I'm truly sorry that that's what's going on in your life, but here's how to get your act together. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is where I would have been. Mm-hmm. And it made me far more patient because I was able to admit I had become strong enough when I'm in my right mind, strong enough to admit how broken I am. Mm -hmm. Not afraid of that anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, So strong enough to admit how broken I am. And then to see how patient God has been with me. And then I, and then that translates into patience with others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's the deal, and that's why the gospel. If we forget the gospel, and it's like I talk about, you know, if you forget the declarations about who you are and what Christ has done for you, if you forget your justification and only focus on the commands, the imperatives. Mm-hmm. If you forget the indicative and focus on the imperative, then there's going to be all sorts of really ugly fruit that flows out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, impatience, self-righteousness, that sort of business. And I mean, uh, I saw it in my life. I still see it in my life in <laughs> In times when I look at other people who all they want to do is talk about the imperatives and I go, Whoa, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, I, I still see it. God is still working on it, but it doesn't crush me to admit that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he's made me strong enough. Mm-hmm. That's a long answer to your question. Oh, that's great. I was just sitting here thinking about how in season one, 
Um, Alex I, and I did a podcast called The Shuns, where we went through justification, sanctification, and glorification. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of the sanctification part, we just pulled straight out of, we gave you credit, <laughs> because he loves me, comforts from the cross, counsel from the cross. Mm-hmm. But I know for me, you shaped a lot of my thinking on those things, making mm-hmm. it very tangible, making it very understandable, this idea mm-hmm. that we um, we work um, not for approval, but from approval, right? Our love for Christ when we're overwhelmed right. with His love for us. Mm-hmm. And I love what you said to right. take a whole year. Like, what would it what would it do to each of us if we could take or would take a whole year? And we can, because if we look at if we come to the scriptures and we will look for God's love for us in Christ in it, um, I think we would see more of it. Um, but I think it kind of typifies a little bit of where the biblical the early days of the biblical counseling movement actually were. Even mm-hmm. though they came out of a view of justification, sanctification, glorification, it just seemed like there was a lot of heavy weightedness toward the obedience side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that's exactly right. And one time I was having a conversation with a well-known biblical counselor, sort of early on when I had, was making the turn, or maybe had just made the turn. And he said... Um, he said, I don't know why you talk about justification all the time. And I said, well, I, I think it's important. And he said, well, justification is my operating system. Those were ex- his exact words. Justification is my operating system. And I, and I thought, yeah, that's cool for you. I wonder how many people that you even counsel or that you talk to or even are in your family um, know that justification should be our operating system. See, and it's that assumption. It's the assumption that the people who come to us for help are coming to us from a place of understanding, of knowing and understanding how forgiven they are, that they're Mm -hmm. completely forgiven, completely forgiven, and counted completely obedient, Mm -hmm. completely welcomed, completely loved, adopted, all of those wonderful things from the New Testament. I just don't, I don't think, generally speaking, we talk about it enough. And when we don't, and I've said this, when the gospel doesn't hold the center of what we believe and how we uh, operate, when the gospel doesn't hold the center, something else will. Yes. Mm. Like That's right. other things. Yeah. Tribalism. Yeah. Etc. And Elise, I love that you're, you're reiterating something we say a lot first. It has to come to your heart first. It is you. It will not flow out of you to other people unless it changes your heart first. We have to counsel, learn how to counsel ourselves from the gospel first. But secondly, I think you're touching on something so important, and that is that our theology is going to influence our practice. And as your as the gospel became center, you said I began to be able to sit with sufferers and. And that is so true because I could see it in my own life. I could see this emphasis on, sure, you're a saint. Yeah, whatever, you're a saint. 
but you know you're a oh, sinner. Right. You know, you're a sinner. Right. And yeah. yeah, I guess you're suffering too, but you're probably suffering because of your sin. Let's be because honest. Because you're a sinner. Right. <laughs> and, right. And I can see that shift in my own life as I began to be able to receive the gospel. And I am a classic older brother. I am a legalist in my heart of hearts. That is who I am. And as I began to be able to receive the gospel and sit with, you're my beloved daughter. I am well pleased with you because of Christ. I saw that shift in my own life too, where I could sit with people who are suffering because I could relate to them as a whole person, as a whole being, and, and not have to go on a sin hunt, but be able to say life in this world is hard. Life in the now and the not yet is hard. And it's okay for me to sit in the ashes with you and just lament with you, just just mourn and grieve. And it it was because my theology changed. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, exactly. You know, I, I think that, and I, I don't want to say that all biblical counseling is my experience, but my experience was you walk into a room, you hear what's going on, and you try to help the person figure out what they're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, that's, that's not necessarily bad, but that shouldn't be the ever first thing we ever think of, you know, it, and, and, and then to live with the tension of suffering of lament to live in that tension of lamenting with people uh, who may or may not ever find freedom from that season of lament, mm-hmm. but, to be, but to be okay with that. I think that sometimes we feel like if people aren't having this really great life, if they're not being successful in, I shouldn't say it like that, if they're not being successful in their sanctification, in their growth in Christ, um, then, then I need to fix that. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, that actually, that actually dovetails a lot with my personality. And that, was, that is something that God is working on, has worked on, that I can be comfortable mm-hmm. without trying to move past lament mm-hmm. and just be comfortable in the brokenness of where we are. I mean, I, I don't know when this um, is going to come out. When we're recording, um, it's uh, uh, Holy Week. And part of uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church, part of what they talk about during the season of Lent from Ash Wednesday to Easter is something they call bright sadness. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where I'm trying to learn to live mm-hmm. is that I can be, I can lament and I can be comfortable with brokenness. Not that I say, Oh, brokenness is just part of the world. Let's not do anything about that. I'm not saying that. But I just, 
just don't, I don't feel like I got to fix everything and make it right in order to prove that God is good or that I'm good or anything like that. I don't need to do that anymore. So live in that lament about the brokenness, but then also have this bright joy Mm -hmm. that is part of that to somehow put those two things together, joy and lament. Um, Psalm 137, in in that psalm, you know, the the exiles in Babylon are saying, um, (laughs) we sat down by the river and wept, and they actually hid their their harps in the trees because they had been tormented by their captors saying, sing us some songs. And so they would hide their musical instruments. And then, and then they asked this question, the psalmist asked this question, how am I supposed to, how, how are we supposed to sing the songs of Zion in a foreign land, mm-hmm. in exile? Mm-hmm. See, and that that's what we have to learn to do. We have to learn with our counselees, uh, with ourselves first, and you're so right about that. It's got to be here first. Um, we have to learn, yeah, this is a, this is a broken, sad, um, this is a broken, sad place, mm-hmm. but it's also God's place. Mm-hmm. So I want to lament and sing. So how do we sing in the midst of this lament? And it's easy for me, I'm probably talking about this too much, but it's easy for me to just stay in the lament because um, I tend to be kind of pessimistic. So it's easy for me to just stay in the lament. On the other hand, I know that there are people that hate the lament and only want to sing. Mm-hmm. But I think that the life of Jesus, and of course, he's the only one that does this right. I think that the life of Jesus tells us that there that there's both. There is lament with people who have made their lives just a, a, a train wreck, mm-hmm. and, or people who have had their lives made a train wreck by someone else or circumstances. Um, So to sit with them and lament, but then also to say, yeah, but we can have joy. And the reason we can have joy is coming up on Sunday Mm -hmm. (laughs) because of the resurrection. So because of the resurrection, because that is an established fact, then I know that lament isn't all there is. And I am called to look forward to that life of blessing and joy that will be that will be ours, that is ours, is becoming ours, and that will be wholly ours in the life to come. Mm-hmm. Amen. That was a great so, Easter sermon. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Bright sadness. Bright sadness. Bright Check sadness. it out. I like that. Yeah, it's a cool thing. Well, I like that bright sadness. I um, I think that as we think about walking with women in the bright sadness, in the in the sorrow, in the rejoicing, in the suffering, and the rejoicing, um, 
How do you recommend, Elise, that women would grow in their both their confidence and their competence to walk alongside other women? Yeah, thanks. Um, confidence, let's start with how do we grow in confidence? I, I think that we have to say that we grow in confidence when we understand that God is going to use our work in whatever way he wants to, so it doesn't have to be about how good we are at saying the exact right thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. I, I won't have any confidence at all about anything. If I, I mean, maybe I would, but then I would be terrified and and terrified that I'm not doing it right or proud when I think I am. Um, I think that when we look for confidence, we remember that it is God's work to do what he wants to do with what uh, we, with what we do. I re- I remember a time when uh, I had had what I would call a really mm, difficult counseling session. Um, not that the person was difficult, but I just didn't feel like I had anything to say and whatever. I'm watching my watch, that kind of thing. Let's be honest. And, um, and the person, the person came back, uh, the next week and said, that was the best counseling session ever. Mm. (laughs) Thank you, Holy Spirit. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And that's what we have to, that's what we have to remember is, yeah, we can, we can and should prepare. We can and should know the scriptures. We can and should pray and ask for wisdom. But the reality is that nothing is going to happen if the Holy Spirit doesn't work. Of course, the Holy Spirit works in combination with our gifting, our skills, our preparation. The Holy Spirit does work in combination with those things And so we don't ignore them, but people's lives will never be changed. Hearts can never be changed by my words, by our words. They are only Mm -hmm. changed by the Spirit. So confidence. Mm -hmm. How do I have confidence? You know, I prepare. I ask God for wisdom. I try to learn the discipline of listening um, I do those things, but then I leave it all in in God's hands. So mm-hmm. that's how I grow in confidence. How do I grow in competence? I read. I read widely mm-hmm. and deeply. I read, mm-hmm. of course, scripture. And don't just like read scripture, but study. Study scripture. But also, mm. read widely. Read fiction. <laughs> um, good mm-hmm. fiction books. <laughs> Amen yeah. to that. Mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm not, mm, I was about ready to make a re- remark. We'll back that bus up. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> not talking about reading <laughs> cheesy fiction romance, okay? Not, that's not what yeah. I'm talking about. 
Um, I'm talking about reading fiction that really opens your eyes to the human heart. Um, mm -hmm. I, I just, and I know I'm late to this party, but I just read uh, A Man Called Uwe. Uh, yeah. um, mm -hmm. and, and okay, that book is a great book to study um, the human heart. I, I mean, he yeah. does, the author does a great job with that. Uh, I read widely. I read Brene Brown. Um, uh, mm -hmm. Brene, I think, is a believer. Mm -hmm. um, she's Episcopalian, mm -hmm. I believe. Um, but she, she is helpful in helping me see things about the human condition that I would not see. Um, and then I want to read uh, people who have been counselors and who are offering uh, help. So like maybe Scott Mel's book, mm, what is it? Helping Messy People, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, those kinds of books, of course, anything by Paul Tripp, those kinds of books that help me make connections between scripture and life. But I honestly, I think the best thing you can do is, of course, know, know the Bible, study it, know it, spend time in it, read it, you know, deep dive into certain passages, but then not just know the Bible, know people. And that's where fiction really helps. Um, it does. Right? So um, my, my favorite of all time, well, I have two favorite of all time fiction books, of course, uh, Les Mis, Les Miserables. So, mm -hmm. I mean, goodness, uh, Javert and Jean Valjean, and just understanding the human heart so beautifully. And then C.S. Lewis's Till We Have Faces. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, again, so helping me know the human condition, what the human heart is like, and then knowing scripture. Mm hmm I want to know, does watching good fiction yeah. movies, <laughs> do, do movies count? Because I find that I read a lot more of my Bible and biblical counseling books. I don't read as much fiction, but I love documentaries. Yeah. I love a well-made movie. I'm so excited yeah. that kind of the whole movie industry has become decentralized and Netflix and Amazon and these smaller people are taking over mm -hmm. and they're just putting together some amazing, yeah. um, you know, works that really allow us to see the human experience in mm -hmm. so many different places on so many different levels. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, this may or may not be over the edge for people, but you can just say, ah, she lives in Southern California. They don't have any morals at all there. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Breaking Bad and mm -hmm. um, Better Call Saul. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, they're, they're definitely... It, you got to take them with a grain yeah. of salt. <laughs> View or be advised. View or be advised. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Don't watch them with oh, your children. absolutely not. Mm -hmm. But yeah. the way yeah. that they paint those characters and... Yeah. The character development. The, yeah, the character development and the brokenness. 
and the sadness that comes from the brokenness. And they keep trying to do the same thing over and over again, like we all do. Mm. To I, I mean, those yeah. kinds of things um, are yeah. just, I think, really helpful. Some people, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. they don't want to watch anything like that. And that's great. Um, don't watch it if it bothers your conscience. I live in Southern California, so, you know, I go to the beach and... <laughs> It's over. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that Alex and I tend to paint a little bit more outside the lines maybe than some people might be comfortable with, but we're we're okay with that at this point. I think you you get over 50 anyhow, and you just, you know, you get a lot more freedom because you get anchored a lot more in the love of Christ for you, I guess. Um, Well, now they're going to say, there they go. Those, okay, never mind. Yeah. (laughs) I know where you're. I know where you're going with that, and so does Alex. But yeah, we'll stop yeah. there. <laughs> I'm thinking of all the authors I want to talk about, so I'm showing incredible self control right now. I'm a fiction girl. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we'll maybe we can just come back and have another episode just on mm-hmm. our favorite of fiction. Yes, ones, and, and, and we'll only release to- it to certain people. <laughs> that's, that's right. right. A special that's edition right. release, exactly. I think Malia could help us. People with, that. with yeah. no contest. Um, oh my goodness well i am curious to know because you've been in the realm of um education certification training and maybe maybe explain to our listeners a little bit of like kind of that first and most important part of being competent and confident is a growing and working knowledge of the word of god for personal heart transformation and then to your point, like know God and his word, know people, get to know, you know, understand people. But if somebody wants to move on, let's say, particularly, I think about when you said women would just come to you even before you were a Christian. I was the same way. Yeah. Even when I was yeah. a little girl, women yeah. came to me. I wanted, I wanted to be Ann Landers, you know, dear Ann. <laughs> and I had nothing to say. It was like wisdom <laughs> according to this 10-year-old little girl who knew nothing right. or the 16-year-old or this 18 or this 25-year-old. But um what would you say to some of the women who are like, you know what? I'm finding women coming to me all the time. Like, this is clearly a part of my calling and my gift set, but I really would like to do more training, get more education. What would you recommend? Uh, well, obviously, I think the people at Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation do a great job. Um, so I would recommend them. I would recommend the Association of Biblical Counselors in Dallas. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I would recommend mm-hmm. them. Um, I haven't been involved with um, with what's going on at Trinity Theological Seminary Newburgh as far as wanting to get a degree in biblical counseling. Uh, I know that Southeastern is offering a degree in biblical counseling. Um, Mm. so those kinds of things, uh, depending of course Mm. on, you know, your, your season of life, can you, can you do that sort of thing? I, I would assume, and honestly, I don't know at this point, but I would assume that there are online courses that you can do if you can't get away to go study somewhere. You folks would probably be Mm. more aware of that sort of thing that, than I am. Is there anybody mm-hmm. else you'd want to ans- or add to that? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I would say one of my favorite conferences is uh, the Faith Bible Conference in oh, Lafayette. Yeah, yeah. I think they do a really good yeah. job. And that's where I've got my master's from as well. Um, and and really, sort of to your point, there are some other conferences. And I think from time to time, we'll be putting things up. I think Alex and I both are getting our ABC certification yeah. Yeah. this year good. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, really love Shauna, yes. who's um, you know the executive director over there and love the work that they're doing. Um, I know that well, Alex I have to put a plug in training. for my, yeah, I put this, this past year, I just finished my, I am now a level three certified narrative focused trauma care from the Allender wow, Center. Wow, good for you. But the Allender you. Center has, yeah, they've put together a great menu, I think, everything from one or two weekends to, I've just spent three years wow. in that training. Wow. And so you can get all different levels of training and story work, which is a, a different tool to have in counseling or just mm-hmm. walking with people. But I just really think story speaks to this generation. Yeah. And so understanding how to use the entry point of stories of harm or wounding are, is, is really powerful. And I've, I've learned so much. And, of course, Dan Allender was trained by a lot of the people at Westminster in Philly. So he has that overlay and then brings it into the field of psychology in a way that I've never heard anybody um, to that level of skill. So, but I like that you're right, at least the CCEF in Philly, the, um, the certificate levels, you don't even have to get the masters are all online now, every class. And you can you can do as much or as little as you want, and you can audit or take for credit. So we are in an age where, yeah, any level of equipping you want to get, you have access to. Yes, including the conversational counseling podcast. That's exactly. Right. <laughs> that was just a shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we really are trying to make it like bring it down where it's just like so much on that level of everyday conversation. Um, I just I want to turn a little bit from that because I think at least is right we can we will be highlighting different things along the way and um, but I think that two things that kind of hold women up from getting involved and stepping into spaces where they can minister is one is how do I know when I'm ready to help others and that fear of what if I say something or mess up or do something wrong. And how would you speak to those women who are like, oh, you know, I, I know God's calling me to this. I, I want to do it, but I don't know if I'm ready. And what if I mess up? And all the mm-hmm. angst kind of that comes with that. Um, okay. So I think the ready question is very help is helped when you are in community with other people who do counseling. So mm-hmm. you, when I took training in biblical counseling, um, I had to sit in counseling rooms listening to counsel being given. And then the, my trainer would sit in a counseling room with me and listen to the training. I think that um, one of the primary things that we can do is be in community with other counselors um, who, who are helping us know when we're ready. But can, um, I'm just, you know, <laughs> you're not ever going to be really ready because you're not the wonderful mm. counselor. Um, right. <laughs> that job's filled. Um, and mm. which, which brings us to, I, I, let me, I'm, I'm going to go back a sec, um, which 
if you want to be involved in the lives of people who are suffering, you're ready to be there. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. if you actually want to be involved in the lives of sufferers, and not just so that you can straighten them out, but that so you can love them, then I think you're really close mm-hmm. to having everything you need. We don't need mm-hmm. to make this a bigger deal than it is, although, although I'm really happy that you're getting training at, in specific areas, and so there are people who need to be trained in very specific areas to answer very specific needs. But if you're just going to want to help people, I mean, can you be a friend to a person who suffers? So if you want mm. to be, then I think you're ready to be. Um, yeah. Then, you know, what if a woman messes up? Okay, so let's just... <laughs> you already, you already know what I'm going to say. <laughs> There is, there is no if there. There's no if there. Right. You're going to mess up. The good yep. news is that the Holy Spirit takes those mess ups and accomplishes good through them. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that I, don't need, that I don't need to study or I don't need to pray or I don't need to try to be wise? No, of course, that's not what any of that means. But if you think that, Somehow you can only counsel when you have your act together, your counseling act together. You are going to be um, waiting forever. Waiting forever. <laughs> but then the people that you counsel, you'll put pressure on them to, yes. to be better because you're judging yourself by how they do. Mm. So let's just, let's just get rid of this whole idea that somehow I'm going to be this great counselor. And then if people come to me, they're totally always going to be helped. Uh, maybe they will mm-hmm. be, and maybe they won't. Um, the Holy Spirit has to do the work. And that, boy, that's the really great, um, that's the good news is that it's not up to us to say the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And the mystery of it, too. Exactly. You know, that God could use human instruments. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that any of us would actually think that we've arrived or that we could be ready if we have the Holy Spirit. We know something about what God's Word says and who He yeah. is. And like you said, if we're just willing to show yeah. up and be present. And as Alex and I would say, we show up, we shut up first, then we speak yeah. up. Good. Right? Very and good. So, <laughs> uh, more, more so in, in that order. So no, I think that I think that's really helpful. Um, Alex, did you want to add anything to to that part of our conversation? When, when you were talking, Elise, it made me think about the fact that when we when we have that mindset that we have to wait until we've arrived, it really is an, a a self centered yeah. mindset. Yeah. It, mm. It's missing the you know it's missing the right emphasis. It become it makes the relationship about me again mm. instead of being able to be focused on the person we're sitting with. And so, I think that. It's almost like we just have to get over ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. we just have to get over ourselves mm-hmm. and our performance and be really, really there for the other person. And I think 
that's why your counselee was able to come back that day and say that was the best counseling session ever yeah. because you know <laughs> in your mind you're thinking i don't you know what's happening and but she, but she felt like you showed up for her that day and the holy spirit worked right. through that and it like you said it wasn't about these magical words this beautiful argument you put together so it is uh Again, I'm also going back to if we don't ground ourselves here vertically, we have to be grounded here vertically first. If we're ever going to get over ourselves, it's going to come when we orient ourselves to who Jesus is. And then we can we can move out into the horizontal, not worried about us. It's not about us. Well, and I think that goes back to what Elise was saying earlier about where does confidence, about the confidence, like maybe we Mm -hmm. could say we're ready when our confidence is in God and not ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, and that means that I'm humble enough to realize it, it ain't about right. me. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so no, I think that's so good. Well, um, I was just really curious. I think we just have a few more minutes. At least do you have a few sure. more minutes. <laughs> okay, good. Um, you wrote, give them grace with your daughter. And um, I know it's an area in my life I sure wish I'd known and understood more about yeah. grace. It'd be nice to do life backwards, but then our confidence would be uh, in ourselves because yeah. we yeah. know it all, then yeah. messing up along the yeah. way. <laughs> and in fact, it's the mess ups a lot of times that you know give us the wisdom and the credibility. And oftentimes it's like, I can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you what not to do. Um, <laughs> and I think that's a very true a lot in parenting, especially. Mm. And I too am a grandparent. I have three grandchildren. And so I, I like to say that ha- being a grandparent now, I really think that God is more like a grandparent than he is a, a parent. He's more like a grandfather than he is a father, right? You, you got to get be a grandparent to understand that. Um, but what what you know what has changed, or yeah, how has your perspective changed in the area of grace and parenting um, as a result of just your journey? Yeah. Um, after I wrote, give them. Um, after I wrote, because he loves me. Uh, my daughter and I, along with some other friends, begin to ask the question, well, if the gospel sir, is if the gospel is supposed to affect intersect with every area of my life, then how does that impact parenting? And honestly, we had no clue. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until we read um, luther's Luther's commentary on Galatians that really helped. Mm. Um, I look back at, and then we wrote, give them grace. I look back at my parenting and honestly, so much of it was driven. Of course, I loved my children, but so much of my parenting was driven by pride and fear. Mm -hmm. Um, I was not raised in a Christian home, lived a really debauched life before I came to Christ. And I was determined that my children were not going to live that life. Mm -hmm. So I was afraid that they were not going to live the kind of life I wanted them to live. And it's not that we don't want our kids to serve Christ. Of course we do. But I was so driven by fear that they would make the mistakes that I did. And Mm -hmm. that, in part, was also driven by pride. I really wanted to be proud of my family. 
Mm. I wanted to prove that I wasn't my mother. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to prove that I was better than. Mm. And so that eventuated in a very heavy-handed, legalistic way of my parenting my kids. Now, fortunately for my children, who all speak to me now, which is, you know, miracle. Um, <laughs> but uh, my husband, Phil, had been raised in a home like that. And so he was, he was kind of a, hey, you know, why don't you back off? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, take a breath. Uh, let's take the kids to the midnight showing of Star Wars, which we did. That was Phil. So Phil, <laughs> in his... Uh, and because he was raised in the kind of home that I wanted to set up, he countered that to them, mm -hmm. which I'm thankful for. So when I really began to understand the gospel and how I'm forgiven and counted obedient, then I could admit my pride, my fear, my demandingness. I could ask for forgiveness from my children. I could, I could do this with the older mm -hmm. ones <laughs> um, because I realized that my reputation, my belovedness or my okayness is not, um, was not contingent upon their doing the right thing. And yeah. the gospel did that. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean my kids are all wonderful and they're my kids are sinners? They're broken, and their kids are sinners and they're broken. Um, but I can say that the gospel takes away the shame of motherhood. Mm -hmm. Amen. The gospel does that. So you know. Mm. Just thinking about Mary, I mean, I can be, I can be, be a blessed woman who watches my son be executed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. See, that's what the gospel does. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yes, I wish I had gotten that much earlier in my parenting uh, yeah. career. But <laughs> me too. But thank God for grandchildren, right? Yeah. Because yeah. we get to do it again. And <clears throat> by God's grace, with wisdom and experience, we get to do it better, do it different, and they get to benefit. So that's great. Well, Alex, I think we're going to have to wrap up. Okay. Um, mm. Is there anything else that you wanted to um, think we want to maybe ask about your podcast, podcast really quickly? We'd love to mm. have a plug for your podcast and maybe any res other resources you have, either currently or upcoming, that you'd like for us to... Yeah, that we could share with our hearers as well. Thanks. Thank you. Well, so I am on sort of a sabbatical from the Worthy podcast. We, uh, Eric Schumacher and I did um, maybe 150 podcasts about uh, the value of women. And we interviewed women and men about that. And um, so that is a podcast that if you go there and find it, it's presently reruns. Both he and I are trying to figure out our lives. So <laughs> we don't know what's mm -hmm. going on. And then our podcast, Front Porch with the Fitzes, 
uh, that's a listen. Uh, that's a listen with a warning. <laughs> it's very, <laughs> very silly. It's the podcast about nothing. But oh, then we yeah. just raw and real. <laughs> uh, yeah. But then, and and that podcast is my myself, my husband Phil, and Jessica and Joel, um, just talking about um, it's. It's kind of like a conversation on a front porch. So uh, in a family, we talk over each other. We're really rude. We say things we shouldn't say. So (laughs) that's that podcast. And um, yeah, I'm presently finishing up a project that's currently entitled Unloved, Be Loved, which Mm. is a look at how, mm, how a lot of the lives of the people in the Bible really looked like they were unloved. And but they were actually beloved, and mm. how our hope that we can make it in what I call the meritocracy, which is kind of like you know, do better in your life will look better. That try to take their lives and say, okay, this is this is actually how God loves you, even in your mess. Mm. So that hopefully will be out. Um, I want to say maybe towards the end of the year. That's great. We will look forward mm-hmm. to that for Thank sure. You. To Thanks. add to our the, the list of all of the <laughs> yeah. reading that our we've done Elise at least library. <laughs> That's our Elise <laughs> library. Exactly. <laughs> also, I know our our listeners can find you at elisefitzpatrick.com. We'll put that Correct. in our show notes. Elise, you've got books, you've got studies, you've got blogs, you've got podcasts. Um, you are all over YouTube. If they just want to insert your name in their little YouTube app. You can find lots of talks. Um, you're, you're a brave woman because I know, again, there's been a metamorphosis in your life and probably some of those date back to times where maybe there's been some d- different emphasis. Yes. Uh, maybe not anything totally new, but a different emphasis along the way. So, Alex, you want to say anything else? You got any? Yeah. I think we just need to say thank you, not just for coming on here today, but just for your whole body of work and just for your life that's um you really have blazed a trail at least and it's made it easier for people like brenda and me to come behind and um not that that's even easy but um (laughs) but it has definitely made it easier to follow your example and to see the ways that you've been willing to to admit i mean one of the things that brenda and i really wrestled with in doing a podcast every time we write anything or, or record anything we wrestle with this idea of, well, I'm a different person than I was 10 years ago. What if what I'm I'm saying now, (laughs) 10 years from now, I don't want to be saying. And you've done that with such grace. Like you, you really have shown us that, um, you know what, I don't want to be the same person 10 years from now. And it is good for me to grow and change in my ideas. And so we're just going to have to be brave and say that we are works in progress too. Yeah. And, and you've shown us that. And I, and I love that you were able to just share with us that that comes from a deep grounding in the gospel. So thank you. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. For visuals and discussion questions for this podcast, sign up at knownministries.org. Because we learn better together, we'd love for you to share this podcast with others and gather to discuss it. If you take a moment to like, follow, subscribe, and rate this podcast, it'll help tremendously. We'd love to connect on social at Known Ministries.
This podcast is made possible by generous donors, executive producer Malia Smith, and engineers and producers Shane Selby and Zachary Tate-Smith. The information presented is for the enjoyment of all and is not intended as either medical advice or counseling, nor is it specific to any particular individual. It is not intended to replace counseling, medical care, or professional advice. Please contact 911 if you're having an emergency.